we're so far behind. And, you know, when people thought that Trump could have, uh, you know, done more, I always point out, he's one guy against millions in the system. And we have to get involved at every level to push back. And this will take years and years and years and years. Yeah, President Trump could not turn water into wine. I mean, you know, he wasn't Jesus. You know, it's, it's, it's not that one man can, for some amazing reason, completely overturn everything and, and make everything work. I don't know why people thought he was a magician or, or, or a saint or whatever they thought he was. That he did as much as he did, that he withstood everything that he withstood, that he changed as much as he could, that he ha- hung in is phenomenal. But to expect that he could do things that were, quite frankly, impossible to achieve as one man uh, is, is unrealistic. And it also puts all the burden on one person because one person cannot do this. He, he inspired. And when he inspired, what we needed was everybody to jump on board. Hello and welcome to The Joe Mobley Show. I'm your host, Joe Mobley, and you're listening to the only place in cyberspace where we talk about being conservative. We hit on current events, the politically correct cancel culture, and problems with civil discourse. But most importantly, we discuss what you can do to come out of the conservative closet. The Joe Mobley Show is a new and exciting podcast that airs weekly on Monday mornings. We have a range of controversial topics on deck. Even so, it's important that we hear from you what matters most. Be sure to send questions, comments, and things you'd like to hear discussed to ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. That's ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. To make sure you stay informed on the latest content, be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Welcome back, and thanks for listening to The Joe Mobley Show. Joining us today is mother-son duo Pat and Dave Brown. Pat is a criminal profiler and outspoken activist. Dave is a business owner who isn't afraid to step into the arena as well. Together, they wrote what is sure to be a must-have book in 2021. That book is Black and White, How the Left is Destroying the Dream of Martin Luther King Jr. and Our Founding Fathers. Pat, Dave, how are you? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. Awesome. You know, it's almost like we've done this thing before, but (laughs) we all actually just met and are speaking for the first time, uh, barring any technical difficulties. Guys, what got you to want to write this book? Uh, tell, Tell our audience a little bit about the book and where they can get it and why you wrote it. Okay, well, I'm going to start because I kind of was... The person that caused the problems to begin with, which is eventually why Dave was so kind to join me in writing the Mm -hmm. book. Um, And we thought, hey, this might be a good idea. Uh, About a year and a half, almost two years ago now, I started a thing. uh, It was a meetup group. And what had happened was I was going to meet up. If if you don't know what meetup is, meetup is just a bunch of people getting together. Uh, You put you put out what you're going to do. So you might have a meetup book club or a meetup travel club. Or I had a sign language meetup and I had a book meetup. No, I didn't. I take that back. I wanted one, but I didn't have one. I had a walking one and a travel one. So those were mine. And everything was great. Uh, I had black people joining, white people joining, just sort of depended on where we were going and what area we were in. And I live in Prince George's County, Maryland, so that's a predominantly black community. Uh, Never thought anything of this. And then what happened was I started trying to join other groups. And I noticed 
that suddenly there were these groups, they were being advertised to me through email from Meetup. And those, those groups were called things like African American Book Club or Melanin Sisters or Sisters with Suitcases or uh, black, black Women Who Walk, whatever they were. But what was odd was they were political groups. They were simply groups doing things, but only letting black women into those groups. So I thought, well, this kind of seems to me racist. Um, it seems like a violation of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Uh, so I tried to join these groups and my picture came with my profile, which is kind of blonde, you know, so kind of obvious that I'm not overly African-American. So I sent those in and I said, I'd like to join your group. And I was turned down by each and every one of those groups. I was told I was not black. I was not African-American and I could not join the groups. So I found that rather offensive. Uh, so I wrote to Meetup and I said, hey, what, what the heck? You know, how can this be happening? This should not be permitted on Meetup uh, to have race uh, groups uh, for one race only. And they actually wrote back to me that it was perfectly okay and that they would help me find a group for white people that would accept me. And I'm like, oh, that's so sweet of you. And of course, I meant I would have to get in my car and instead of driving five minutes to the group, I'd have to drive 40 minutes across town. So you might remember when black people were told, oh, well, you, we'll find you a black group. You know, you, you can't come to the white church, but you can go to your black, a black church. Uh, it, you know. it sounds fine, right? They were just telling you a separate but equal group. What's wrong yes, with that? You, you didn't want a separate but equal group, Pat? Apparently not. And uh, apparently it's no, you know, what now it's not okay to have separate and equal white groups, but, you know, you know, you can have separate and equal black groups. I mean, it, it's just crazy. So... After they told me this, I thought, okay, I'm going to test this out. You're saying all one race only group is okay. So fine. So I started a group. I called it White Women Yoga. And I hate yoga personally. Um, <laughs> I'm not even a yoga doer. But I saw a group called Black Women Yoga. or I think it was black uh, yoga for black girls. And it was in the area. And they said we have, it's a group for black girls, for black women, with black instructors for the black community. And and so I took their description and I just substituted white. I used their exact description and substituted white. And I put that out there and all hell broke loose. So I started getting, you're a Nazi, we're coming out to get you, you're a white supremacist, and how dare you? And things like, don't you know that, that, that yoga was developed by brown people in India? And it was kind of funny because at the time I made up the group, I was actually in India with my Indian friends. I was in India. I'm sitting there with a group of Indians and my sari, and I'm thinking, yeah, I kind of do know that. But um, so, so all hell broke loose. And then uh, the Washington Post wanted to interview me to find out about this white racist Nazi woman who was trying to have white-only groups. And of course, I knew it was a hit job, but I, I did it anyway. And then I, I sent an email over to Tucker Carlson because I've done his show before. And I said, hey, Tucker, how about having me on about this, this issue? And I sent over the Washington Post article, which, of course, I knew it was going to be a hit, hit job. You know, but I did it on purpose. And then he had me on the show and I got a huge response. People going, thank you for saying this because this is getting ridiculous. And, um, and after that happened, I started noticing so much more of the, the problems. And I looked back and thought, how did things get to this horrible point? So I hooked up with Dave and I said, hey, Dave, now that your mother's made trouble, um, what do you think? Not for the first time. <laughs> that is probably true. Uh, but uh, I thought, you know, you, you, you and I get along pretty well. Uh, what do you think about writing a book together about all of our experiences uh, from the time, you know, you're growing up and from the time I had children that were uh, mixed race children? Um, what about 
what things were like and how are they getting to now? What are we thinking is happening to our country? Uh, and so we decided we'd go in on this book and, and we did. And it was kind of funny because I sent uh, some uh, over to my agent, my literary agent, I sent over the proposal about the book and she was horrified because she was very liberal. And she said, I absolutely cannot take this book out. I hate it. <laughs> so, so we had a problem because I, I lost my agent because she wouldn't take out a conservative book. But uh, I was very fortunate. Uh, eventually, we were able to find Post Hill Press, who, who took the book, uh, and they're, they're a wonderful publisher. So, but it's, it's pretty tough out there when you're conservative. Yeah, 100%. Man, that's hilarious. I, I had some of these conversations with my wife, who's white, and our, my family, my side of the family, interracial relationships run in the family. And you know what? Uh, this is the first one of these that I'm doing video. So I'm just going to reach up here and grab this just for you guys. The audience, you can't see this, but... Pat and Dave can see this. So these, ah. these are my grandparents, all right? Oh, wow. And you, you talk about a white woman from Germany that looks like this uh, coming coming here. You know, we're talking 1950s, 60s, where Germans wow. were really not. It would have been worse if her eyes were blue, but her hair wasn't blonde. You beat me out because I was 1979 when I married a black man, so she was really early on. Yeah, it wasn't so. cool in the 70s, but in the 50s, it really was cool. So that was really gotten something. Yeah, exactly. A rich, rich black man, and uh, and you know what people would say as a Nazi, which of course is a mischaracterization, <laughs> mischaracterization of my grandma. Uh, anyway, so we've we've been in it for a while. My parents are interracial. Um, you know, I've got aunts, uncles. All across the map. And yeah, anyway, I moved down here from, well, not technically. I'm from Long Island, but I, I claim Virginia now. I did like third You grade. can't even say Long Island right. What are you talking about? I, I don't yeah. hear a Long Island accent. What's Long Island. Well, come on now. Well, look, here's the <laughs> scoop. Don't tell anyone. Don't Anyone listening here, don't tell anyone. The New Yorker accent doesn't play well in private sector or in <laughs> politics. So if I plan on doing either one or in podcasting, so wherever I end up, I would have been screwed if I kept that accent. Um, Smart now, move. Smart yeah, move. my parents who were born and raised um, in, in that New York City area, um, uh, Long Island, they they don't have the accent either. And it's, it's smart to get rid of it. Uh, just think about this, if it was like podcast, which of course is more, uh, more, Bostonian, but no, no one would want to listen to that. Uh, anyway, I digress. Well, uh, the most, you have a fantastic accent right now. Very non-regional and very, very clear and understandable. So I, I'm going for American <laughs> English. <laughs> I have a question for you to ask my son. Yeah. My poor son. So, so ask my son, what in the world will make you write a book with your mother? You know, I'm just, I'm getting, I've got an outline here, but I'm getting another question for Dave. Mm -hmm. Dave, what in the world? And this just came to me, <laughs> almost as if someone spoke it into my ears. What in the world would make Fancy you want to write a book with your mom? Well, you know, um, I'm pretty lucky that I have a mother that, you know, we get along great. We've always had a, a friendship that's just not just mother and son, but, uh, you know, we're friends and we've always had a I guess a very similar outlook on life and we've always, um, you know, gotten together and discussed life topics and just, uh, just sort of, you know, the, our general philosophy on, on living. 
and we've always had the same sort of outlook. And so for us to get together and write something was very easy. Um, had this been another member of my family, not so much. There's other people, members of my family where we don't really think the same way. It would never work out. But um, now me and my mother, we're it's very, uh, very similar in uh, certain ways that uh, made, made writing this book possible. Neither one of us are liberals, is that's basically what you're saying. And, and that's how you it very, very easily, yes. <laughs> Which, you know, that can work out. I, I align politically different than most of my family, um, but we get along very well. They're what, ne- neither side uh, in, in our little group are so crazy that we're canceling each other. Oh, that's um, awesome. At least not yet. I, I know that families are doing that, and I'm so thankful because uh, there are a ton of us. My my side of the family is huge, and um, yeah. So. so what's the what's the balance there? Is it like eighty twenty, or is it fifty fifty, or uh, politically? No, politically, the the family is just about you know card carrying uh, liberal family. Mm. Um, so how and, did you diverge from your family? Because uh, that's, <laughs> that's um, question. You know, and my parents listen to the podcast. Thanks, mom and dad. Thanks for listening to this podcast. And and um, some of my siblings um, listen as well. So thank you guys for listening. But uh, the thing that did it was my parents went a step past, um, you know, you can do anything you put your mind to, you have hard work and dedication. You can get whatever goal that you want, you can get it accomplished. They went a step beyond that. And they really, truly didn't try to influence the children to make decisions based on how they would make it. They wanted you to make a well-reasoned decision that was yours, not theirs. Um, Politically, also religiously, if, if you said, you know, I want to go and check out this mosque or I want to go and check out this temple or I want to go and check out this church, you know, have a good time, be safe. Um, And then they'd ask about it. You know, how was it? What did you learn? What was the environment like? Um, So they truly are, uh, this is funny, but they truly are free thinkers. Most people on the left say that they're free thinkers. They're not. Um, But my parents are. Uh, and so uh, mainly I grew up in Virginia Beach. Um, you know, there's some Southern culture there, uh, aside from the tourist. There's some gun culture there. There's, you know, there's some freedom. Now I'm in Northern Virginia. It's like DC 2.0. I grew um, up in McLean. Can can we say? Oh, yeah, that's right down the road from me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right in McLean, Virginia. That's where I came when I was well, uh, eight you know, years you know, old. The, the question is that um, you wonder, you know, when I grew up, and I'm guessing when you grew up, um, things were a little more balanced. They weren't so crazy. Could that sort of hands-off approach work right now if you have kids in a school system that are trying to indoctrinate them? Can parents today be that sort of hands-off and that open? Or, else, or, or you know, if they do that, will their kids be steered toward that sort of leftism that we, we, we uh, want to stay away from? So I, yeah, I wonder, not, I wonder not if parents at all. today have this, uh, the same ability to be that, that relaxed and that that's open. No, that that wouldn't work at all. And you hit the nail on the head. The indoctrination is so uh, powerful in our culture. Um, And then one thing, you know, this is kind of bucks the idea of what I just said about my parents, but a child is going to be indoctrinated, period. Uh, They're either going to be indoctrinated by friends, family, the public school, if they have tutors, whatever it is, um, 
you know, who you spend your time with, you become like, uh, so you can look at anyone, you can look at any individual's income, um, their education level, their speech patterns, and you can guesstimate with a high degree of accuracy what their four closest friends' incomes, education, and speech patterns are. Um, that's just, There's you know, a, that's yeah, just the way that it saying, is. Uh, yeah, birds of a feather flock together. And yeah, tell me who your nine friends are, and you're going to be just like them. <laughs> that's, yeah, there's many ways to say that. Yeah, it's, yeah, uh, it's exactly. inevitable. Rub off on you. But, but, you know, I think it's so much worse these days because, no, now, uh, I raised my kids in the 80s and 90s. And my concern at the time when I looked at the local public schools was that they were just kind of crappy. You know, it's just kind of I thought, well, you know, your kids haven't committed a crime, so I'm not sure I'm sending it to a juvenile detention institution. Uh, it wasn't quite my idea of a, a learned place. And it, it just didn't it rubbed me wrong, essentially. And so. My, uh, Dave's dad was like, well, let's send them to private school. But I'm like, yeah, like we can't afford three kids in private school. So that's a nice thought, but not happening. So I homeschooled and that was, it gave us a lot of freedom, obviously. And we, our homeschooling group was kind of interesting because we had such a mix of people. We had liberals, we had conservatives, we had all the different religions in there and people were just friends when, and the children were, children just got along because we were, we were, just trying to care for each other and, and, and learn things. And it was really great. It was kind of a lot of freedom that way. And they, they, so Dave and uh, his sister and brother grew up pretty much homeschooled all the way through. And nowadays I wonder, a lot of people are homeschooling for even a, if they're even a stronger reason to homeschool now, because, well, like for example, in PG County, Black Lives Matter has been put into the schools and it's actually, part of the program and it's kind of frightening because it's it, it is such a anti-white it is such a kind of anti our whole society kind of program um and so you have your kids in there and people are told they have to teach this to your children and your children must learn these things and if they don't learn these things they're in trouble so i don't know how i would feel about sending my kids to this school uh today the school system today uh, even more so than back in the 1980s and 90s. And, and let me add to that, too, that um, it's not just in a county like PG County where it's all black, where you have Black Lives Matter. For example, in the county I live in, it's a majority Republican county, but somehow Black Lives Matter supporters and are able to get into the school system, even out here where I live, and put that in the curriculum where you think it wouldn't be at. So uh, I, my message to conservatives is, you know, we just can't vote on a national level. We have to get involved in our local politics to make sure that these elements don't seep into our communities because it, it seems to get everywhere. Yeah, it's not going away. And I hate that this is a phrase now, but we actually do have to do the work. Um, yeah. Another thing, man, this is just like the visual show for Pat and Dave, but I, I met this guy, um, oh. Scott, Scott Minio. <laughs> Uh, who runs a group, Parents Against Critical Theory. If your wow. town doesn't have one of these, and this is, my kids are homeschooled, and still I am involved in the school board um, because it's an atrocity. Uh, not That's even fantastic. critical race theory, but just critical theory. Any type mm -hmm. of social binary that says this group, that group. One, it's it's racist. It's, it's prejudicial yeah. on every imaginable front. Um, to say, I know these things about you because you're man, woman, because you're um, from the North, from the South, because you're black, white, Asian, Latino, whatever. Um, 
guys. So that's, all, it's only 10 or so. You need another 200. Yeah, exactly. And it just makes your head explode. But if you're, you know, um, if your town, just like Dave was saying, no place is safe unless there is an opposition. This is a classic evil will triumph if good men don't take action. This is a classic scenario of that. I I think that um, it's it's natural for conservatives to sort of have a, a, to be passive. We're not people that go out and want to push our our beliefs on people. But the problem is when the other side doesn't believe that, um, they'll push into your territory. So you you sort of can't just take that sort of passive attitude anymore. You have to stand up and push back. And that's why I kind of, you know, I stopped calling myself a libertarian as much as I like libertarianism in, in, as far as the ideas. But, you know, when the left and when you have, when the Marxist, when they're pushing at you and your, your attitude is, well, I'm just going to stand on my principles and hope things work out well, guess what? They're, they're not going to work out well. You're going to get um, steamrolled. And so... Conservatism today has to move from being a sort of a, a passive, let me just mind my own business sort of philosophy to a more active philosophy. And like you pointed out, at the local level, at every level, we have to get involved. Well, you know, it's funny, Dave, because you say that. What happens is when you pull back and you're not involved with government, with education, especially with education, you say, okay, well, I'm not going to let my kids turn out like that. But if everybody else's kids are turning out like that, they're going to be running our country. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you kind of don't want everybody else's kids to turn out like that. You want to do something to stop that kind of thinking and not just say, well, uh, I'll, we'll just move into, you know, our, our into the woods someplace and, and we'll be okay. No, We're not it. going nope. to be. There's no, way to, there's no way to hide and we have there's to. There's nowhere to run anymore. Right. Yeah. So I've been, I've been beating this drum. This is part of the problem. Part of the problem is is conservatives, we thought for the, the longest time, and Ayn Rand, who is an objectivist, she took things farther than I, <laughs> I would go. Um, but yeah. in her defense of capitalism and, and you know, the current president of her uh, institute, Yaron Brook, he's got this great book called Equal is Unfair, um, America's Misguided, I think, Misguided War, against um, inequality. We used to think, well, the truth is on our side. So even if we just hang back, the truth will have its day. Ultimately, that's true. Um, But in the interim, that's not sufficient. We are getting, I forget which one of you said steamrolled. We are getting steamrolled. And it's not even, guys, it's not even the left's fault. The left is supposed to be pursuing their own means and we're supposed to be pursuing our means and bucking their agenda but we haven't we've just kind of i think ben shapiro saying it there are these rollover and die conservatives or you know happy losers i'm hearing Mm -hmm. people call us that's got to come to an end and and that's why we voted for trump because we saw mitt romney and, and john mccain these these loser i don't say losers you can't say about john mccain Yes, no. you could. <laughs> politically, uh, politically, politically, we're, we're not talking uh, more. Yes, they they just uh, are happy to lose gracefully, and and we said enough is enough. We're we're done with this. We're gonna break the glass, bring out the big bad guy who's gonna spitting fire. Is he perfect? No. They say things that we don't always don't always agree with. <laughs> yes, 
uh, do we wish he would tweet less? Absolutely. But he was, we thought he was a necessary person to fight back, and he did fight back. And they did everything they could to destroy him, and they're still trying right now. <laughs> um, and one thing I want to, one thing I want to bring up because I've been hearing this all week long, and it makes me crazy. And the the the, the phrase is, "and will win out," like, "and the truth will win out," or "democracy will win out," or "our republic will win out." I hate to tell these people this, no. but if you look through history, a whole lot of places and things didn't win out. In other words, they got crushed. They collapsed. They fell apart. They got demolished. They got run over because civilizations don't just win out because they're good civilizations. That's not the way the world works. And people need to understand that you can't just have this kind of strange uh, fantasy that no matter what happens, we're going to win out. That, that's not the way it works. No, yeah, and Trumpers, uh, Trump supporters, you know, they, they keep on thinking that there was some sort of shoe that was going to drop where we would overturn this election and and uh, the truth would come out about, you know, the, what many perceive to be a rigged, a rigged election. And I've always said, you know, the truth is not, we all know what the truth is, but what matters is who controls the different levers of power within this, this monolithic government. And we don't control that. And, 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 Knowing that, I knew that this election would never be turned over. It wasn't even, there's zero chance of it even happening. And so when I, you know, I tell conservatives, you can't just, you know, say, point to the truth and go, well, that's good enough. No, no, you have to get into positions of power to make that truth reality, <laughs> if that makes sense. And uh, one, of the, one of the disadvantages we have is that within the bureaucracy, you know, the federal government and all the different things that come up from the federal government, it's controlled by the left, and it, the Republicans that are in that part in the, in the government. They may not be liberals, but they their existence relies on the government, and that that alone will have them fall in the line with what the liberals want to control that control the whole system. So we're really fighting an uphill battle. Um, they are they are decades in front of us as far as controlling you know the, the State Department and. The, you know, the Treasury and the, and the Department of Justice and the FBI and the CIA. And we're so far behind. And, you know, when people thought that Trump could have, uh, you know, done more, I always point out, he's one guy against millions in the system. And we have to get involved at every level to push back. And this will take years and years and years and years. Yeah, now, President Trump could not turn water into wine. I mean, you know, he wasn't Jesus. You know, it's, it's, it's not that one man can, for some amazing reason, completely overturn everything and, and make everything work. I don't know why people thought he was a magician or, or, or a saint or whatever they thought he was. That he did as much as he did. That he withstood everything that he withstood. That he changed as much as he could. That he ha hung in is phenomenal. But to expect that he could do things that were, quite frankly, impossible to achieve as one man uh, is, is unrealistic. And it also puts all the burden on one person because one person cannot do this. He, he inspired. And when he inspired, what we needed was everybody to jump on board. And we had quite a bit of that. But let's face it, like Dave says, as we go into the future, if we can't inspire people at the local level to fight a lot of this stuff, to fight the... No, to fight against the, what is called anti-racism today, which is racism, to, to get rid of this kind of, uh, this kind of dichotomy, to, to work with the school system to stop 
putting this stuff into our kids' heads. If we can't do this, we've got a problem. So we have to get enough people together or we're just, uh, you know, we alone again, just like our President Trump, we could not accomplish these things all on our own. Although it's amazing that some people can be that influential and have that much inspiration for other people. Yeah, you are absolutely right. That wasn't the founding father's vision. Um, and the notes for your book talks about the dream of the founding fathers. One of the things is people need to become educated. Like we know the bumper stickers, we know the little quotes, a republic if you can keep it, you know, or or the United States, the American experiment will work so long as there's an informed and well-educated populace. All that stuff is true, but here we are, the average citizen, the average kid, especially or teen, knows nothing about history. You are absolutely right. Trump shouldn't have been expected to do this alone. He shouldn't have even been able to do it alone. If one man, one woman, one anyone can we're in trouble. That type of influence, yeah. Then the American experiment has gone off the rails. That's called a monarchy, or you know, what? Yeah. The, what people tried to claim that President Trump was, you know, uh, that some kind of tyrant, or, or you know, just he wasn't like any of those just things. Just like a dictator, he was not a dictator because the amazing thing is he did stay within the system, and therefore he was none of those things. But then people are disappointed because he didn't achieve the things that a dictator yeah. would achieve. Yeah. Make up your mind. Are are you suggesting that dictators don't step down off of their thrones when the election results come in? And and (laughs) probably not. They don't just move on. Well, you know, someone else. You know how many fun people thought that all the all the 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 guard coming to D.C. was actually you know to take over take over the government, right? So that President Trump would get four years. I'm thinking, why would you actually want that? Why would you want him to be able to? I mean, hmm, isn't that what happens in certain countries when there's a big, huge disaster and a coup and, you know, either a coup or that the fact that you use the military to retain power? That's what we want? I would not think so. I'm not happy with the results of the election, but I certainly wouldn't have wanted to see things go to that extent. (laughs) Absolutely not. Yeah. What about unity? We haven't talked about unity. Because this is a funny one. This is a lawyer's trick. You know, when you want to when you want to win in court, what you do is you say something like this: "Don't you want unity?" And now you're screwed because, of course, the answer is yes. And if you say yes, you have to go along with the program. If you say no, you're a bum. That's called social priming for you psychology (laughs) majors out there. So it's a brilliant way to do it because that's all they've been pushing since they've been there. We're going. We're going for unity. Unity. Everybody, we want unity, don't we? And it puts you in a really bad position because that is exactly what people are asking unity of conservatives. Means compliance to the left. That's what it means. Exactly. That, but they're saying, don't you now. want unity? Yeah. yeah. So how do we get around that? How do we how do we fight you know, for what we need to fight for without quote? I watched not, uh, it's not gonna be unity. I watched a man in the street interview and his tactic for getting around it, I forget who it was. It might have been Will Witt with Prager U. It might have been someone else. Um but just ask those questions. All right, so let's find those areas of compromise. And you've got this liberal. Can we compromise any on climate change? No, no ground to give. All right, all right, let's leave it. Leave it. <laughs> what, what about gun rights? No, absolutely not. No, every gun should be carted off. All right, all right, let's, let's pivot to something else. Abortion, uh, 
transgenderism? Can we can we talk about any and every single one of the issues that actually mattered? Every issue except for the color of the drapes in the Oval Office or the color, <coughs> the interior of Air Force One. Every other issue was immovable. So that's yeah. how that's how you can get people to wake up to this nonsense. Is ask one of your liberal friends because they say let's what find common ground. Yeah, Where all right. Can they let's, give a little? let's find yeah. that common ground. Tell me one issue where you will compromise to a conservative viewpoint. And you know why they can't do it? They're not even educated enough to know what the conservative viewpoint is. Well, well I don't think uh, there is one. Well, we, we've seen um, with with Trump and you know, for example, gay marriage and gay rights. He was very middle of the road. He wasn't this this uh, staunch conservative on a lot of issues, yet they treated him as this, this arch conservative. And in, speaking for myself, I, I don't think I fall into that category per se of being a staunch conservative because I'm fairly I'm reasonably liberal on a lot of social issues. So they, uh, they yeah, they sort of treat all these Trumpers and conservatives as having this, this one viewpoint. And it's, we actually have very, there's actually a lot of different viewpoints among our, our group. And a lot of times they overlap with liberal viewpoints. And we're, we're kind of reasonable, actually. We're very quite reasonable if they would just give us a little something. And as you point out, except for the color, you know, the color of the drapes, they don't want to budge at all. It's funny that you say that. It's, it's the opposite game. Have you guys noticed this? I know you have. Have you noticed everything they accuse us of they're doing? They accuse oh, us of, of colluding with the Russia, <laughs> colluding with the foreign power, and yes. then Vice President Biden's colluding with the foreign power. They accuse us of uh, sex scandals, and they've got, you know, people on the Senate Intelligence Committee with their sex scandals, or mm -hmm. they'll accuse us on spying on Kim. They accuse us of all kinds of craziness, and it's almost like it's a brilliant tactic. Hey guys, hey, we we want to. Uh, we want to steal an election or we want to commit some kind of fraud. Let's say they're committing fraud. Hey, we want to collude with a foreign nation. Let's say that they're colluding with a foreign nation. And when we're spending millions of dollars investigating that, we'll collude with a foreign nation. Right. Sneaky, isn't it? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Is it just me? No, it, that's... No, it's... Um, you, know, you think that your liberal friends would see some of this stuff um, and you point out... Um, well, there's there's no rest of collusion. We have Joe Biden on camera talking, you know, bragging about withholding money. We have we know for a fact now that Joe Biden's son was getting money from China and I guess the mayor of Russia. And from Russian oligarchs. And and they don't and all of a sudden I go and I go, don't you see how ridiculous this is that you accuse Trump of Russian collusion? Did Trump Jr. get any money from China or a Russian oligarch? No. And and you 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 present this evidence to them and you get nothing. And and they deflect and they just spin their spin their motors and it's it's it's, it's insanity. I can't describe it any other way. Well, you know, if we, if we go back to some of the issues with uh, the anti-police and Black Matters issues, as a criminal profiler, when all this anti-police star stuff started coming out, and oh, so the police killed this guy and the police killed this guy and they murdered him, they murdered him, and and they weren't going they weren't willing to wait for evidence to come in and they weren't willing to look at it for what it was and as a criminal profiler the problem was people would say well pat what do you think so you were saying people you know these crimes occur these use of force incidences and people don't right. wait for the evidence to come out and then they say pat what do you think 
Right. As a criminal profiler, obviously they're going to come to me. And this is where, again, I probably parted ways with the, the television networks because they have an agenda. They already know what they want to be the result. This, this police officer is guilty, period. And of course, with George Floyd, this was a huge opportunity for the left because the video itself was pretty terrible. It was terrible looking. And, you know, I work with a lot of police in, in, with crime scene analysis, and I'm not going to say every police officer is a great person or has done a perfect job because every profession has its bad apples and things that go wrong. Uh, so I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to stand up for everybody and for every police officer. I won't do that. I'll stand up for what I see the evidence shows. So when the George Floyd thing came up, the initial view was pretty horrible. But I was looking at that going, you know, the guy knew he was on camera. <laughs> the guy knew somebody was filming him. You wouldn't be like purposely murdering someone right in front of a camera. He's been on the force for almost two decades, near retirement, like he's going to sit there and just murder somebody on camera. That does not make logical sense. And what was so fascinating about the whole incident was that there was a rush to, you know, rush to you know, say that it was uh, it was definitely murder. Um, of course, the whole country exploded. But what they what the media did was they very carefully did not show the videos that led up to the exact moment. So you didn't see what actually happened. And, and that video as, was, was it held? That was withheld, correct. And what they didn't show was why the police had to arrest him because he was clearly on drugs. His girlfriend was saying that he was a big guy. He was out of control. You couldn't put him, you couldn't let him get behind the wheel of a car. They were just trying to lead him over and get him into the police vehicle. He was causing, he was saying all kinds of strange things. And then while he was standing on his feet, he said, I can't breathe. I can't breathe while he was standing up. And th there's obviously nobody putting, holding him down. So he obviously could breathe. Uh, he should have been able to breathe, but that was when his heart was going into failure. And this will all take place in court eventually. But I believe he, he was already dying on the way down to the ground and he was not murdered on the ground. But even if that's just my personal opinion as a criminal profiler, as I analyze the evidence, there should have been a way that we could rationally look at the situation and say, OK, let's let this go to court. Let's get all the information rather than make this an agenda and tear up the entire country over it because you found something that will work to 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 attack uh, the police. You'll find something that will work to attack white people or to attack whatever you're trying to attack and to make your, your agenda bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's really sad when we're as a country are unable to step back and let justice take its course, let, 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 let everything uh, play out. And the media, of course, was the worst. I mean, the media was absolutely the worst. And they're the ones that revved up as much hatred and anger as they possibly could and made their conclusions. They are television hosts. That's all they are, television hosts. And they're getting on, they're going, he was, George Floyd was murdered. George Floyd was murdered. You should never be saying it as a television host because you are not in the place to be able to judge that. So that's where the, that's where the media has gone completely awry, where they are controlling what people are thinking. They're making people think what they want them to think, and no longer are they an impartial uh, distributor of news. And that's one of the, and they know that. And they know they've got the total control over 24-7 over people. What does it say when CNN treats a career criminal who was committing a crime and having a drug overdose better than a 50-year-old child who was doing nothing? 
and they treated that fifteen mm-hmm. year old so bad that he was able to sue them in court and win. That and that right there just shows you just how ridiculous our media is. Yeah. Unfortunately, our society is ridiculous too because George Floyd and the pomp and circumstance that went along with his circumstance, God. he is not someone to celebrate. What am I going to tell my little mixed children that he was a bad guy? And you know what? If he ever darkened my doorstep, if he ever entered my house without permission, he would have been blown away. <laughs> well, yeah, he was a he was a psychopathic career criminal, yeah. a violent psychopathic a career criminal. Yes. yes, and his family never wanted anything to do with him. He had he deserted all his children, and the best thing that ever happened to his children and his family <laughs> was that he died. <laughs> and now they're rich. You know, now they have a future because he was a well, nobody wanted to be around that guy. And, 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 and look, at, look at that freaking casket. Are you kidding? We can't get we can't get books and stuff. You want to talk about underprivileged minorities who aren't black. The the thing that makes them minority is, you know, how poor they are. There are more white people on welfare than black people. Could could we have gotten some books? Could we have maybe donated to some causes? Not BLM, because that money goes straight into Joe Biden's pocket. Uh, but <laughs> I've could found we have done the, something other than a golden casket. The left would rather virtue signal than actually do something that's actually constructive. Oh yeah, that's and they more. did, and they did want to raise him literally to a hero. They wanted him to be that person, and that's why they. What, don't they already have a statue of him somewhere? Where, where's that statue? A man who put a gun to the belly of a pregnant woman. That's right. the person Not- in a black community that's treated like a hero, and as as a person of color. It makes me want to puke because right. can we have a one black person that's you know truly a decent person, not not George Floyd, not this guy in in, in Atlanta that was attacking the police, not this this character in Wisconsin who was violating a restraining order um, because he had a, he had abused his girlfriend, and these are the, the black men that are put forward by the media as being these these victims, these martyrs, and I go and role models, the role models, and they're terrible people. <laughs> are, are we not better than that? Is there, is there not somebody better than them that we could we could look up to and treat? It's laughable. Respect? Candace Owens That's, has been saying this since the day he died. Yeah, it's it's scary that anybody who, even if, even if you believe that George Floyd was uh, killed by the police officer, you believe that the police officer erred in what he did and killed George Floyd. Even if you believe that, which in that which case it should go to court and he should be prosecuted and he should be convicted. That's fine. That doesn't make you a hero. No. You know, just because you get killed, knocked off, doesn't make, you could be a, <laughs> think of it, think of this way. What if it were a serial killer? A serial killer was on his way home with a body in the trunk. The police stop him. He gets out. They get in a confrontation. The police kill the serial killer, even, and, and wrongly do so, because the serial killer didn't threaten the police at that time, and they wrongly killed the serial killer. Do you take that serial killer and say, well, he only killed 30 women, but we're going to put his statue up in the middle of the uh, of the city because he was killed by a police officer wrongly. Would anybody really want to do that? Well, apparently with George Floyd, the answer is uh, yes. Is, is he a black serial killer? Well, that, that makes a difference. <laughs> uh, you know, the scary part with what's going on now, you know what would happen? CNN, MSNBC, Twitter, Facebook, all of these freaking digital oligarchs, they would make it so that no one knew that this guy was a serial killer. You post that, it would get pulled down. That is true. Isn't that nuts? It wouldn't have happened this summer, but now? 
where we are mm-hmm. now. If you've seen the movie V for Vendetta, it's literally what they're doing. They're not even crafting a narrative now. They're creating like a director and a producer and a writer get together and create something. And that's uh, that's scary. You know, you know, um, 80, 90 years ago, you know, uh, the elites in our country try to wanted to figure out what percentage of the newspapers would they have to own to control public opinion. And, and they were thinking about this years and years ago, decades ago. And right now we have, you know, four or five major companies, AT&T, Viacom, and a couple others that control probably 90% of our, our nation's media. It's, uh, they do have control. And again, it's, you're, like you're saying, it's not a thing. It's, they're quite literally writing a script and then acting the script out. It's not news. It's a production. We're watching production. When you turn on CNN, you're watching a production. That is not news. And it's, it's very scary. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joe Mobley Show. Remember to subscribe and make sure you don't miss out on future content. You can always show your support by leaving a review or making a financial contribution by going to thejoemobleyshow.com and hitting support the show. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If that was the first prayer you've ever prayed, I hope it won't be the last. Until next time, this is The Joe Mobley Show.